Oh, praise God. Let's love him. Let's love him. Come on, let's really love him. Let's lift him above everything, every situation, every worry, every fear, every concern. God is there. God is there. God is there. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Man, it's great to be here uh, with you tonight. Man, I've just been gone so much. And I know I say that because it's true. And when I get home, it's like, man, I don't want to leave this place. One more time, why don't you just turn to somebody and give somebody a smile. Man, there's just a lot of, a lot of tiredness. Well, you can, you can be tired and still smile. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, I'm tired, but I'm happy. wore out, but I'm happy. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, if I could have everybody's undivided attention this coming Sunday, is our last Sunday with Brother Cox. And it has been, it's been an incredible revival. And um, yes, it really has. And um, Brother Cox has done a phenomenal job. He's been here several times, and every time that he has been here, he has added so much. And uh, personally, I have seen and felt just incredible things that God has done over the last uh, three months of him being here. We appreciate that so very much. Why don't you be inviting people out? Let's make a special effort to invite people out for this Sunday. Uh, he will be with us. His whole family will be here uh, throughout Summit Conference. But this will be the last service with him. And so uh, we want to have a great time of revival this Sunday. Everybody said amen. This coming Sunday, we are going to take a special offering for our upcoming Summit Conference. There, um, there are a lot of you that may not be aware of just really uh, what Summit means to so many. I'm, and I'm not, I know it's important to us and we love it. And there's just a great strength that comes from the unity and the power of the Spirit in these services. But Summit has become a vortex for home missionaries. And uh, what many of you, many of you may not be aware of is that we pick up the tab for all of the home missionaries, active home missionaries. We pick up the tab for their hotel room um, and their room and board while they're here. And the cost of that is enormous. And we want the blessing. Amen. Come on, somebody. We are blessed to be a blessing. And um, I know you feel that way. And trust me, on Wednesday night, the pedal is going to go all the way to the floor. And it's going to stay that way for three days. And there are people from 
all over North America that will be filling this sanctuary that will be here and will be greatly blessed because of the sacrifice of this congregation. And that is the truth. Somebody has to pay the price uh, to be a catalyst to see revival continue to reverberate on and on and on. And uh, this congregation has shouldered that. And as the pastor, I appreciate that so very, very much that you have just hooked up to the vision. may not always feel like doing it. You may not always feel like, oh, you know, I'm just tired. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to get revived real quick. And we're going to get swept up into the things of God and be taken to great places in the spirit. So I want you to be prepared for that on Sunday. I want to catch you off guard with that in Jesus' name. Uh, On Thursday, we are asking that nobody comes into the sanctuary after 9 o'clock in the morning. We have uh, a man coming in that's going to work on the pews. He's going to paint. He's going to tighten screws down. I was praying in here this morning, and I started moving around, and the pews started moving. And so they need to start crank these things down to the floor. And um, there's going to be fresh paint on them on Thursday. They should be uh, good to go for us to clean this weekend. So everybody, we're, uh, we're encouraging you to come out on Saturday. Let's all work together, and then we will all rejoice together. And everybody said amen. amen. And everybody that's happy, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I am coming with a word. And... Um, So that's exactly what I'm going to do tonight. If you'd stand with this for the reading of the word. And we're going to go to Revelations chapter number two. Um, I, over the last two months, actually it's going to continue to be that way for me for the next couple of months after um, summit. But I want to tell you, we, God is moving all over the United States in ways um, that I can't even express to you. Just in the last 30 days, the last 30 days, um, I don't know if I told you this or not, but we took up an offering for Brother Prado. We, we preached for them uh, about six weeks, two months ago at the very latest. And um, he called me and said, Brother Mayo, we found a building. It is perfect for us. God is moving. And I'm, I'm just calling because I need help. This church right off the cuff, gave $5,000 in an offering for, and he got the building. I want to tell you, God's moving. I was there. God is moving. Well, my wife and I, my wife and I were invited to be with brother and sister Tim Haddon in Portland on Sunday. It was their second anniversary. We had two people get the Holy Ghost. And they've only got, what, 30, 35 people. They had two people get the Holy Ghost, and one person was baptized on Sunday. Hold on. I know that's exciting, but he took us by a building on Sunday. He said, pray with us. We really need this building. Um, it's going to help us grow to over 100. He sent me a text today. They're going to get the building. God is, and they all come here. You have to understand that Summit is not just a little, tiny little deal. It's, I'm telling you, these home missionaries are communicating things to me. They're saying they prefer, they have preferred to make Summit their conference. That's a big deal. There is nothing more apostolic 
than a couple or a person can do in the 21st century, like going out and building a church from scratch. Nothing. Nothing. There's a lot of things you can do that are in the Bible that are apostolic, but there's nothing that is more intense, more raw, more resisted than starting an apostolic church. Hallelujah. And I speak as one that's been there and, and done it. I'm not sure I'd ever want to do it again. I love all y'all. I don't, I don't ever want to have to go through this again. Of course, I'm 64. I don't think God would put me through that. But we're going to send out other men and let them, let them start it in Jesus' name. Somebody said praise the Lord. I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Revelations, chapter number 2. And we're going to start uh, in verse number 1. This is the first of seven letters that's being written to the churches of Asia Minor. Verse number one, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Well, if you were to go a little bit earlier here in chapter number one, that indeed is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the one that's holding the seven stars, which many biblical expositors over the last 2,000 years believe that that is the pastors or the leaders of these churches, okay? And the seven golden candlesticks are these churches, okay? So he's got the leaders in his hand, and he's walking among the seven golden candlesticks, okay? In fact, look at this in verse number 13. This is John the Revelator writing. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks was one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. That's none other than Jesus Christ. Verse number 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. So in verse number 1 of chapter 2, we are seeing that it is none other than Jesus himself that is addressing the seven churches of Asia Minor. Verse number 2, I know thy works. He's specifically addressing the church at Ephesus. Verse number 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear with them that are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Very, very important scripture. And I want to talk to us for a few moments tonight that first things must remain first. First things must remain first. First, let's put our Bibles down and...
Before we pray, why don't you just kind of nudge your neighbor and say, just stay awake for another hour. Then you go to bed. Don't fall asleep at the wheel, but go straight home and go to bed. No pizza, no leftovers, just go to bed. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. Nobody like you. Over here, let's lift up our voice. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we need you tonight. God, we need you tonight. I didn't just get dressed to come and just show up to show out. I need, I need God tonight. I need you tonight. And I pray that you speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. to explain to us for several moments tonight the incredible importance of these seven churches and these seven letters. There is nothing like this in the entirety of the Word of God. Um, the closest, if you were to, if you were to theologically come up with something that could be even closely related to this, it would be the entirety known as the epistles, which are the definition of the word epistle is a letter of instruction. And we know about the epistles starting with, in a general sense, the book of Romans, and more specifically, beginning with Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Galatians, and then going on and on and on to all the churches that were started in the book of Acts, the apostle wrote letters of instruction to keep them doctrinally on track and spiritually growing in God. And um, so these seven churches are different from any other churches that are written in uh, the New Testament. And the reason why is because they are all connected to the church at Ephesus. Uh, I was telling my wife a little bit about this this afternoon. Um, this was give, this is a, I felt like God gave me a revelation of scripture, which this is born out of. There's, there's more to this. I'm probably going to uh, uh, submit this as an article. Um, probably not enough here to put in a book, but who knows. But there are, there are some understandings in this that I believe are critical for the church today. First of all, what we want to talk about is that everything that is in Revelations chapter 2 and Revelations chapter 3 is built on Revelations chapter 2 and 1 with the angel, that word angel has been misinterpreted for the last 2,000 years. It literally means messenger. And virtually almost every commentator and theologian over the last 2,000 years has translated that to be the pastor of the local church. There is a probably a for every local church. And so a probably a more proper rendering rather than angel would be the messenger or even the pastor to the church. And so God 
uh, Jesus Christ is speaking to the seven churches. He is walking among these seven churches. They are all, there is a word picture here that is given in chapter 1. We have seven candlesticks. They are all lit. And Jesus is walking among the candlesticks. And in his right hand are seven stars. And they are uh, the angel or the messenger to the churches. And so now he's getting very specific. John the Revelator sees him among this in this picture that Jesus is in the midst of his church and he has the leaders, apostolic, God-called leaders in his right hand. Now he's getting more specific and he's going to begin to address each one of these seven churches. So let's begin with the importance of Ephesus. He starts uh, with the church at Ephesus and as I begin to extrapolate and begin to, to unpack this tonight, you're going to understand why that is critically important and why it's laid out that way. Why Ephesus is the very first church that is being addressed. It is because the church of Ephesus actually began in Acts chapter number 19. We're going to look at that scripture here in a few moments, but first of all, I'd like to go to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 9. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 9. Listen to what the Bible says. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Several things that are notable about this particular verse. First of all, you have to understand that Galatia is connected to Asia Minor. Um, when you look, I don't want you to turn in the back of your Bible right now, but I know in most of the Bibles I have, there are uh, ancient maps, cartography, that describe these geographical locations, and they actually describe the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Well, it shows Galatia, and Galatia is not a city. Galatia is a region. Much of the Bible was not written to specific cities. Um, in this case, it is, but like in the book of Galatians, that was written to an entire region. The book of Romans was written to an entire people. And so here it's becoming very specific when it's saying the Holy Ghost is not allowing them to go into Asia. The second thing I want to mention is that should read Asia Minor. In our minds, Asia is everything from the Holy Land all the way to uh, the coast of China, maybe even Japan, and everything connected to that. It's, it's, it's a huge, huge continent. But more specifically, the Holy Ghost was forbidden that the Apostle Paul go south out of Galatia and preach the Word of God in Asia Minor. I talked about this several months ago, and this is a critical understanding to how God works. In fact, God is working that way even in Spokane. It's a revelation that I have. And it's in the Word of God because the Bible said to preach the gospel to every creature. It says that in Mark chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 28 says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So why would God forbid the Apostle Paul to go right next door, geographically speaking, and saying do not go there to preach? There's a reason for that. The reason is found 
in Acts uh, chapter number 16. We're going to continue here. Go to verse number 7. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Here, the Spirit of God is saying no. And the Spirit of God is saying no. Go to verse number 8. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. Verse number 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed them, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Macedonia is many, many, many miles to the west. Galatia is right above Asia Minor, and Macedonia is right over Greece. It's a long way. And so God is telling them, no, don't go here. And then God is opening a door and saying, go here. Whenever God closes a door in your life, don't lose heart. Don't lose faith because he's fixing to open another door. Clap your hands and give him the praise. If you're truly being spiritually led, if you're truly being spiritually led, these are very, these are uh, educational lessons that the Holy Ghost wants to teach us early on. I think one of the disservices that we are seeing, and part of it is not our fault. Part of it is can we be doing more? Yes, and we're, we're going to pursue that. We're going to do more. We need to be discipling. We need to be majoring on discipling people. When you create a culture, uh, discipling is, is part of that culture. That was part of, of the carryover from the day of Pentecost. And they continued steadfastly. Okay, but part of it is we are living in the 21st century where people, even though they're getting the Holy Ghost, they're, getting, uh, they're, getting, they're seeing truth, they're obeying truth, and they're receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is taking more than it was 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. People just to say, wow, this is incredible. I'm, I'm just going to attach myself to this. People have two jobs. People have financial deals. They have blended families. They have all kinds of hang-up situations that I can't even explain. And those stand in the way of people learning fundamental and rudimentary lessons in the Holy Ghost. I'm praying for God to help us. we got to break that. We have to break through that. My God, I feel it tonight. You say, Pastor, well, we, we want to grow. I want to grow too, but I don't want to just grow at the expense of quality and growing saints of God and understanding what I'm all about. And I have responsibilities, and God will bless me. Clap your hands and give God the praise. There's too many people that just say, okay, I go to church, I'm hooked up, I get dressed every week. I make my way to church, and that's all there is to this. You are robbing yourself from 99.9% of what this is really all about. This is the greatest adventure ever offered to a human being. That Oh, somebody help me out tonight. I know it's Wednesday. I know we've come through three months of revival. But ladies and gentlemen, you and I have the greatest thing this world has ever seen. Clap your hands with me and give him the praise. You are robbing yourself. You are not hurting the church. You are not hurting the pastor. You, well, you might be in a, in a secondary way, but initially you are robbing yourself of what this is really all about. 
I promise not to chase rabbit trails all night, but that was one I couldn't pass up. Hallelujah. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to Rick Mayo. Not getting a truck. Because you can have a truck and still not have eternal life. Not getting a job. Because you can have a job and still not have the presence of God. The presence of God abiding in me. The song they were singing, I am not alone, is the single greatest revelation that you can have in this life. That he is with me. When I call him, he's there. Somebody clap your hands. It, this, is, this is good stuff. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. That's what Cornerstone is all about. That's what I'm all about. So Paul is having one door closed. I've seen a lot of people that when God, listen, God hardly ever says no. But he does say wait. If God can't tell you no, something's wrong. Because God knows more than we know. And he knows that if you go ahead and do what you want to do, it may lead you down a path that takes you away from God and not closer to God. Some of you over here just blink or something. I don't mean to sound rude. That was positive. Hallelujah. I remember listening to Brother Billy Cole one time. He said, please. Don't sit in the church and go like this because I'm going to forget my notes and take a swing at you. I'm not going to do that. But I might just go off on you. I'm just kidding. Okay, back to the rant. Back to this great Bible study tonight. Hallelujah. God tells, God is telling Paul, no, you're right next door here. You'd go. If it was up to Paul, he, he would just go. God said, no. Don't go there. God opens up another door, gives him instantaneous direction, and he goes. That, what happens in Macedonia, is the beginning of the church at Philippi. He was in a, he was in a jail. You know why he was in that jail? He was in that jail. He hooked up with Aquila and Priscilla. And they're going to prayer. And there is a woman there that is possessed. Everybody loves to have a possessed woman around, don't they? Well, there was one there. I hope that doesn't break any marriages up tonight. Oh, it got quiet. I'm not, hey, I just felt like I just got forbidden of the Holy Ghost to go any further on that. Okay? A woman is filled with the spirit of divination. Listen, listen. She is telling the truth. 
She is saying, these men preach the way of salvation unto us. She was possessed, yet she told the truth. If it's really the truth and it's really of God, God is not going to use an impure vessel. This is why God doesn't need television. He uses human beings to reach human beings. He doesn't use a human being in a box. Don't get me started on that. I've only got 90 more minutes. Paul, Paul recognizes this is, this is from the wrong source, rebukes the spirit. The men that were prostituting this woman said we just lost our income. See, not everybody's happy there's a move of God. It's going to mess things up. And so Paul and Silas get drugged before magistrates. They're beaten. They end up in jail. You know the story. At midnight, they sang praises unto God, and there was a jailbreak. The more that you rejoice... In adverse situations, the more that God can move and affect other people. If you get down, the guys in the prison have no chance. If there's anybody that shouldn't be looking like they drink lemonade or prune juice, I'll stop right there. It ought to be a child of God. Let's just clap our hands and give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Okay. It was a great revival. That was the start of the revival in Philippi. Okay. The experiences that Paul received by preaching the gospel and coming in direct contact with demon-possessed people and false worship was attached to that. And then being hauled in front of the city was an experience that God said, the experience you're going to get over here is more important than you going to preach over here right now. I met, uh, I, wish, I wish everybody that, that calls Cornerstone their home is here tonight. There's a lot of people that feel like they are called to do something. And God is forbidding them, but they are forcing their way in. And that is because God has more for them to get inside them. You have to have inward braces for outside pressures. And a lot of people in the 21st century, they think they have a ministry. They don't have a ministry. They wouldn't last in the ministry because the spirits that we're tangled with, they are mean, they are fierce, they are unrelenting, they don't give up, they play dirty. You've got to be under submission. You've got to be called. You've got to be anointed. You've got to be sent. And you've got to have some experiences. So the Apostle Paul is probably going, man, I never did run into the guy I saw in the dream. Maybe he was in a jail. 
Even the jailer got saved. God is going to lead you into, what am I, if God loves me, what am I doing in this jail? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just doing the will of God. You got to understand, God saw those jailers, God saw those, those people in bonds and in chains and said, the only way that I can get you out is I've got to put somebody that's got faith in that environment. I got to let you get hired on a job where you might be mistreated, but there's people that have been crying out to me. So quit complaining, quit whining. If you don't want to be used to me, I'll get somebody else. this little fairy tale fantasy form of Christianity that's not even biblical. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to shatter the myth of people that are thinking, I've got a house, I've got a car, I've got a job, everybody's healthy, everybody's having fun, we've got money, therefore I must be blessed. That doesn't mean you're blessed. That means that the spirit world has left you alone. There's people that are working for God that are in prison tonight are wondering how they're going to eat tomorrow. But God is going to make a way. Oh, come on, somebody. I believe in this. I'm apostolic. I didn't come here to be 21st century America. I came here to be old-time, one God, tongue-talking, devil-casting out, gifts of the Spirit, supernatural, whatever God wants to do. somebody so radical like you up in the northwest that's because god is saving the greatest revival this nation has ever seen for right here in the northwest people thought well it rains a lot it's cold there ain't nothing going on up there honey you come here next week and tell me there ain't nothing going on up here somebody's got to believe it somebody's got to pay the price somebody's got to have a vision or there's millions that will be lost unnecessarily. I believe one of the judgments of heaven, God's not only going to reveal to us the people that we directly influence that are in heaven, but I believe that God's going to reveal to us what we could have done because of the influence in Jesus' name. All right. Paul gets incredible experience in Macedonia. Great revival. He's beaten. He's misunderstood. But God is moving. In Acts chapter 19, starting in verse number 1, you, the Holy Ghost allowed Paul actually to go into Ephesus at the tail end of Acts chapter number 18. But the beginning of the church really begins here. And it's because God wanted Paul to have the experiences that were going to happen in Macedonia to prepare him for what he was going to face in Ephesus. Now, why is Ephesus so critical? Look at Acts 19 and verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. They were believers. They had been exposed to John the Baptist's ministry. And they'd all been baptized on him that should come after John the Baptist. That means Christ Jesus. Verse number two. 
Paul said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? That is the greatest question to ask all your denominational friends and all the people that work on the job or all the people that your neighbor, neighbors with. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Verse number three. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Speaking of John the Baptist. Next verse. Then said Paul, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance. See, that's as far as they went. They only went as far as, as repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Verse 5. Now, when they heard this, they were rebaptized. It should say rebaptized because they were already baptized. But they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, not Father, Son, Holy Ghost, not some kind of configuration, any way you want it. No, in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse number 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied, it's revival time. Revival. And what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Started being a great revival in Ephesus, and people quit going to the temple of Diana. And the guys that were making figurines of Diana said, hey, people are walking right by. They're not even buying these, it, it, these, little, these little, mon, uh, little statuette things that were part of a form of worship to the temple, Diana. They're not even, they're not buying them anymore. Why not? Well, how come they're not buying Because these guys have come here and turned our world upside down, and they're preaching there's a God greater than Diana. They're preaching there's a God that will actually give them peace. They're praying there's a God that will actually love them. They're praying there's a God that will deliver them. These men are enemies. In fact, it got so widespread that people brought their books. We call it New Age, but the biblical terminology, it said curious arts. All these books about black magic and New Age and spooky stuff. They had a huge bonfire. And, and they started throwing their books. They were cleaning out their house. The Holy Ghost said, you know, we're going to clean out our house. We're going to live for God. We got truth now. We have the spirit now. They created a big bonfire. And the guys of that city said, these are troublemakers. They came here. They've changed our way of life. It's affected my income. It's affected my future. These are our enemies. They drew Paul and Silas into the courts of that city. They beat them. In fact, the Bible said there was such tumult that it was just like a, a sea of people. You couldn't tell who was on whose side. It was so loud. The voices were so loud. And finally, somebody got up and brought peace to the crowd. But Paul needed that experience to know that just like God got me out of a jail in Macedonia, God is going to see me through this. But if he had gone directly to Ephesus without having that prior experience, it could have impaired and impeded the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Aren't you glad God knows what he's doing? Aren't you glad he knows the beginning to the end? Aren't you glad that he says, no, not yet. 
you can go there later, but you need this experience over there because when you talk to this person, you can't talk to the boss right now. Just witness to this guy. But in six months, the boss is going to come to you and say, I'm tired of drinking. I'm tired of drugs. I'm tired of my life. And now you have the confidence that God is going to change him. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Incredible resistance that the Apostle Paul ran into at Ephesus is recorded also in other places. He got this revelation when he was at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. This is a scripture that's been a blessing to the church for 2,000 years. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Next verse. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is in Ephesus, verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Ladies and gentlemen, the person is not your problem. If the devil can get you to fight people, he wins. Pastor, you just don't know what they did to me. Turn the other cheek. Pastor, you just don't know what they've asked of me. Give them your cloak. Pastor, you just don't know what they've requested of me. Go another mile. You know why Jesus put that in there? Don't let anybody control your spirit. You're in control of your spirit. I'm not going to render evil for evil, but I realize there's a devil that's trying to get me to lose my Christianity. I know this is beyond Pentecost 101, but if you're ever going to do any damage in your lifetime in this world, we've got to be able to understand these things. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. There are spirits that control people. I didn't say they're possessed. Some are. But Satan, Satan doesn't want to possess you if he can control you with the least amount of work. He's got to spread his guys out. If he says, I know exactly what this guy's going to do, he's going to get on his cell phone, he's going to look at something he shouldn't look at, that's going to give me room to influence him all day long. Why would I want to possess him? That takes work. Because I'm working on this other guy too. He's three rows behind this guy. And I'm trying to get him to do something stupid. I'm assigned to these two guys. Sometimes I feel like there's about 50 of them on my back. But I don't tell them I know they're there. I just go ahead and worship God. See, this is not 101. This is for people that are spiritually Mature. Their senses are fully exercised. They know I'm not just going to get up, eat a bowl of cereal, go through my life, and then I'm just going to go to church tonight. No. They understand. I've got, the, I got something nobody else in this entire building has. When you're working on a job, have you, ever, have you ever asked yourself, how many people on this job have the Holy Ghost? How many people in this building have been baptized in Jesus' name? That means you have a choice to make. You are either going to be for God 
or do nothing. I didn't say be against him. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Let's go back to that scripture. i got to move here. Look at this. This is a revelation. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not the rank and file of hell. This is degrees and spiritual influence in human affairs, human government, and the life of an individual. But principalities and powers, those are the first spiritual agencies of resistance against an individual. Against the rulers of darkness of this world. That's getting into government groups of people. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's human government. Those, those are degrees of influence. And those are degrees of influence that Paul confronted at Ephesus. And then he ran into people that resisted him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 32. The Apostle Paul is making this statement, but he's referring to what, what he experienced at Ephesus. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. He was not thrown to the lions at Ephesus. There's some people that said that the Apostle Paul was drug into the amphitheater that existed at Ephesus and he was thrown to the lions. That is not what that is talking about. That is talking about that he dealt with people that were, had so much spiritual demonic spiritual activity around them that they resisted him like beasts. He had fought with the beasts at Ephesus. It's talking about people, unreasonable people. Unreasonable people are the number one human resistance against the church. Just just they're just unreasonable we need to pray no i don't want to pray you need to pay your tithe i don't want to pay my tithe i don't want to do anything i just go here i like the people here i don't necessarily like the pastor i don't necessarily like some of this other stuff but I'll, this is my friend i go here that's okay that's okay because one of these days i'm going to rebuke that devil off your and you're going to be in this altar and you're going to get free and you're going to become the devil's worst nightmare I'm not giving up on you. We're not throwing you to the... But don't try to tell me how spiritual you are when you can't even obey the word of God. Your spirit betrays you. Unreasonable people. It's an apostolic ministry's greatest enemy. Because the spirit world has got to have eyes. It's got to have an attitude. It's got to have a mouth. And he can't, he can't do that without somebody's cooperation. Oh, Jesus, help me. I don't like going to that church. It's too real. Do you want one unreal? If I thought for one minute that the devil could use one thing that I'm either activity or saying, I would get in this altar and say, God, forgive me. I want to work with you. I don't want to work against you. And everybody feels that way, say amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Okay, next verse, 15. 
you're in you're in first Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. You know what's you know what's interesting about this? Alexander is the guy that got up on the stairwell while there was incredible tumult in the city square where they could not even tell. The voices were, the cacophony of voices were so loud, they couldn't tell who was on whose side. It was a roar of volume. And Alexander got up on the stairwell and brought peace. But he eventually turned against Paul. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord will reward him according to his works. Next verse. Of whom be thou aware also, for he has greatly withstood our words. You don't have to do that. I know that's what the pastor said, but you don't have to do it. I know the pastor preaches this, but we're not going to do that. Well, why don't you go to a church that will let you do what you think you should do? It's, it's disingenuous to sit in a church where you're in total disagreement with what the pastor preaches. That's disingenuous. Why don't you just go to a church that will let you do whatever you want to do? That's because you know this church preaches the truth, but you can't bring your flesh under to obey what the Spirit is saying because your flesh is in I'm in the Holy Ghost, and I'm not trying to be rude, but we have to be honest. Unreasonable people that are not cooperating are sometimes the greatest hindrance to revival. Go to verse 16. I don't want to. I don't want to get lost and take you with me on that. Verse 16, please. At my first answer, no man stood with me. People heard Alexander the coppersmith. He got verbal. He got vocal. He got loud. And nobody sided with Paul. All men forsook me. And I pray to God that it may not be laid to their charge. Next verse. Watch this. Next verse. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Oh. It can't. Well, I was doing pretty good till Brother Clark messed up my message. Okay, no. All right. Well, I'll do this myself then. Because you got to see this. Okay. Go to verse 17. It's in my Bible. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Clap your hands and give him praise. That's the verse that program didn't want to be read. When Alexander withstood me, the Holy Ghost called him a lion. And who is the lion of 1 Peter 5? The devil is as a roaring lion. And when the devil works through people, but, but Paul got a revelation. He said, those people are unreasonable. The guy's trying to do me much harm, but God delivered me out of the lion, and I am preaching to the Gentile. I'm going to preach anyhow. We're here to reach people in Jesus' name. Clap your hands and give God the praise. All right, 
God bless you. You may be seated. This is really what I wanted to talk about, okay? The church at Ephesus, he was resisted by the devil. He was resisted by the New Age movement. He was resisted by the government there. He was resisted by people that at first were with him and then turned against him, such as Alexander the coppersmith. He's already mentioned, he's also mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 18, Hymenaeus and Alexander. You might remember Hymenaeus and Philetus were told to be put out of the church for they said the resurrection has already passed, corrupting the faith of some. There were people, well, who was he writing? He's writing to Timothy. Where was Timothy? Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. There is more spiritual activity evolved around Ephesus than any other city. Why? Because all the other churches in Asia Minor were started out of Ephesus. The church at Smyrna is not mentioned any other way. The church at Sardis, the church at Philemon, the church at, at Laodicea, the church of brotherly love, they're not mentioned anywhere else. They came out of Ephesus. It was the mother church. And we started a church in North Spokane. We started a church on South Hill. We're going to keep putting them out. Because after we pay the price and we break it in half, it's because God's going to evangelize. We're, going to, we're putting one in Kellogg. We're putting one everywhere we can. Amen. Clap your hands and give God the praise. You may not even have a clue what this is all about. But the reason why the Apostle Paul was resisted at Ephesus, I'm talking to people frequently saying, we're closing the door. We're, we're, we can't, you don't understand. If you close it now, There'll never be another chance to you bridge out over here. So now God's going to have to bring another guy in and start all over. Every one of these churches that Jesus is addressing after the church at Ephesus in Revelations 2 and 3 looked at Ephesus. As the great example, everyone were in Asia Minor, but it started with Ephesus. Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor. And so the last word that Jesus gives to the church is at the mother church. The church that was the example. The church that backed the devil into a corner. The church that pushed the resistance out far enough so that other men could go and start churches. Some biblical commentators state that there was a letter that was sent to Laodicea. There's a reference to that. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, but it's never been found. We don't have any reference. It's nothing more than a theological pipe dream. The leader... The church that started this whole revival. I've never heard this preached before. But it was because Paul broke the back of spiritual resistance in Ephesus that there was able to be a church in Smyrna. Pergamos, that was the seed of Satan. I believe that spirit was driven out of Ephesus and parked in Pergamos. Paul never visited one of those other churches. There's no record whatsoever that Paul visited any of the other seven churches in Asia Minor. He said, it's already busted. You guys go start a church. Go, go to Smyrna. Go to Pergamos. 
Go to Sardis. Go to Philadelphia. Go to Laodicea. And so now Jesus is addressing at the end a mother church and the baby churches that started out of Ephesus. I've known your faith. I've known your patience. I've known your works. You've done great. You've done it for my name. You stood for my name. You've resisted people that said they were apostolic and are not apostolic. But I've got something against you. You've left your first love. This is what I wanted to preach about. Cornerstone, there's some of you that just recently joined us here. There's some of you that that will probably have a difficult time with this. I can't help it. I love you. I just have to say it and just pray that you get this. God put you in a church that God intended to be a leader. Really? How'd you guys start Summit? We were in Spokane for five years. My wife and I said, there is no conference here. Why don't we have a conference and invite all the churches that want revival? We don't think we're better than anybody. We just have been to conferences. We've been to churches that did have conferences. We saw the strength that it could be. Somebody from the organization said, why don't you give it to us? I said, no, 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 no. We're going to keep it and give it to God. You're not going to put a saddle on this and homogenize it and then make it some kind of a political thing. You're going to destroy the whole thing. We're going to keep it free. The reason why people told me that they want to come to Summit, they don't feel politics. They don't feel hype. They don't feel pressure. They feel the power of the Almighty God. And two years ago, right here, there was a portal that was broken after Nathaniel Urshan preached. I saw pastors dancing with a tambourine that went home and had revival. We can't afford to back off on this. We can't afford to not be givers. You can't afford to not be lovers. You can't afford to not be a witness. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. First things must remain first. I don't care if we're running a thousand. We need to keep reaching farther. We need to give bigger offerings. We need to keep sending people out. Why is the candlestick so important? Brother Clark, I don't have that scripture on there. But Jesus used the illustration that no man ever lighting a candlestick puts it under something. Whenever it becomes obscured, Whenever it becomes, it, it, becomes, it becomes filtered, where it's not just the bright illumine. They that sit in darkness cannot see a great light. If I was asking these guys to shut the light off and I took a Bic lighter and flicked it, it would be the only light in this room that you would need to do the things you need to operate in this world. And when a light, when a candle becomes obscured, men bury it. He, and, and Jesus said, when people light a candle, you don't put it under a bushel. You don't put it under a basket. You don't bury it. You put it in the middle of the room so that everybody gets light. 
You're not in a church that's going to take small offerings. You're in a church that was blessed to be givers. You're You'll just, you'll just backslide and go to another church and then they'll go to a building program and you'll say, we don't want to give here either. You're in a church that God said, I'm doing this because all of them need a building like this and I got to use somebody. We just want to be a little plain Pentecostal church and, you know, go to and play patty cake and uh, that's, that, is, that, is, that is a form of human government. It's human organization. It is not apostolic procedure. Apostolic procedure is is we're going to come into this thing and we are going to drive these spirits out. We are going to challenge them. We are going to pray. We are going to fast. You can't have my children. You can't have backsliders. You can't have my neighbors. You can't have everybody. We're going to go to war. We're going to pray. I'm not looking to just fake it until I make it. Clap your hands all over this building and give God the praise. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Jesus said, is the only way I see you. You can't you are not allowed to see yourself any other way. But you have to see yourself as the light. And if you don't I'm going to I'm going to move your influence. I'll give it to somebody else. transparent. I was complaining. I know for some of you, you've never even imagined me complaining. Trust me, I have my moments. I am I'm caught. I'm human. I need to pray. And one time, many, many years ago, many years ago, I was complaining to God. I said, God, this is too hard. I am telling you the truth in the Holy Ghost that God told me, if you don't like it, I'll get somebody else. God doesn't need me, and God doesn't need you, but he wants us. And believe me, there are more people all over the United States that are sitting in a little church saying, I, I, I believe in end time revival. I believe in this book of Acts stuff. God says, get ready, I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to pull you out of Texas. I'm pulling you out of the Midwest. I'm pulling you out of the North. I'm pulling you out of California. Well, you might pack up and go somewhere that plays a game. There's somebody going to take your place saying, I've been looking for this all my life. I believe in apostolic revival. I believe in the book of Acts revival. I believe that God's a healer. I believe that God can do that. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Come on, somebody shout with a voice of triumph and give him praise. We need to thank God for what we have. down two weeks ago, got to spend a whole weekend with Brother brother Larry Booker in their church, phenomenal church, just, just a bigger version of this. And we were talking, he said, I believe 
He said, I believe that God geographically is raising up churches in the end time that will be cities of refuge to Pentecostals. Jesus said, either you get back to doing what you did in the beginning and repent. Well, I'm going to take this candle. You'll still go to church. You're not going to knock over the candle stand. No one's going to see your light. No one's going to see you got anything. When you cuss and use euphemisms that are so close to cussing that people can't tell you got the Holy Ghost. When Ephesians chapter 4 said that no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But that what comes out of your mouth may minister grace to the hearers. God says, the light's gone. He told, he told him, he said, go back and do the first works. Don't come up to me and say, well, I used to give a lot of Bible studies. What are you doing now? I used to knock doors. I used to hand out tracts. I used to witness. I used to love God. I used to talk to people about God. It's time that we repent and go back and do the first works first. That is the evidence that your first love is back where it belongs. Lift your hands all over this building. I did not come to condemn you. I love you. I came here to break through the mentality that everything's fine. I'm alive. I'm healthy. I've got money. I've got a roof. Everything's fine. Go back and do the first works. What is it that happens that separates people from their first love? Number one is carnality. They simply quit doing spiritual things. You cannot be carnal and be spiritual. You're going to have to choose a master. No man can serve two masters. Number one is carnality. You quit doing spiritual things. Number two, the cares of this life have eclipsed the requirements of eternal life. Number three, we become offended. A, a preacher offended me. The pastor offended me. The church offended me. Another human being offended me. A situation offended me. Number four, a situation in which we never recover. A divorce, a mistake, a bad relationship, hardness of heart, bitterness, apathy. We just don't care. We're going to have Summit next week. Do I really have to come? No, you don't have to come. But I don't recommend that you stay home. Go to Psalms 106, verses 11 through 13. And the waters covered their enemies. Talking about the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. And the waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. Next verse. Then believed they his words, and they sang his praise. Oh, praise God. Next verse. They soon forgot his works, and they waited not for his counsel. How easily we forget what God did 
a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. I have someone against thee. You've left your first love. And if you've left your first love, what's going to happen to those other six churches that have watched you? They've watched you thrive. They were birthed of you. They were born of you. They look up to you. There was a guy that was here last week, Brother Tony Richmond. Pastors in... uh, Tri-City. He said, Brother May, I want you to be my pastor. Because I want God to do here what God did there. I said, well, I don't know about that. Let me pray about it. What happens if we get bored? What happens if we get ugly? What happens if we get tired? What happens if we get carnal? What happens if we let down? First things must remain first. Go out and get you a Bible study. Go out and knock a door. Go out and witness to somebody. Go back and write your story down. Let it bring tears to your eyes. Go out and tell somebody about it. Let's stand. First things must remain first. It takes perseverance. It takes discipline. It takes a made-up mind to say, I'm going to love God all the way to the end with all the twists, with all the turns, with all the dips, with all the potholes of life, with all the mountains, with all the brutality. I'm going to tell you, life is so brutal. Life is so full of inequities. You've got to be a forgiver because life will offend you. Life will get right down into your spirit and try to draw all the joy out and all the peace out and all the power out until you're nothing but a shell. You don't have to be that. But nobody's going to get my love for God. He gave that to me over 30 years ago. He entrusted me. He called me out. With his own hand, he brought me out. I have no allegiance to an organization or in any mega group of people. I have one pastor that's apostolic. And I have a God that is directing my steps. Let's lift our hands tonight. And let's return to our first love. This altar's open. If you want to come and pray, just let's, let's pray. There's, th- th- that's the only genuine, authorized response to this tonight. I need to pray. God, I, I, you've been talking to me about being a soul winner. I, I, I've been blessed. I'm living on a blessing that's 20 years old. I haven't taught a Bible study. I haven't witnessed anybody. I haven't, haven't prayed with anybody in the altar. In fact, I've never even been to the altar. And, God, I want to be restored to my first love. He'll do it. He'll do it quickly. 
if he loved us when we were sinners, how much is he going to love us now that we're sons? Come on, let's pray. All over this building, let's find a place to pray. God be with you tonight. Some of you that have been through shipwrecks and situations that went, it's time to just say, you know, I'm turning the page tonight. I can't relive that for the next 20 years. I'm not going to rehearse it. I'm not going to let the devil bring it over and over. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm going to have the first love right where it was. And I'm going to go out and do what I did in the beginning. And I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be excited about church. I'm going to be excited about the prayer room. I'm going to be excited about revival. I'm going to be excited because I've got my first love.